You are now listening to Mark's Unexplained World by Mark the Medium from Hinkley Community Radio, a non-profit podcast radio station. Tonight's episode is about the Fae. So it's over to you, Mark. fairy, otherwise known as a fae, is a type of mythical being or legendary creature generally described as anthropomorphic, found in the folklore of multiple European cultures. The word fairy is actually a catch-all term that was first used over 700 years ago in the English language. It is a form of spirit often with metaphysical or supernatural qualities, and is that which is known to appear outside of the natural, or in other words, preternatural. Myths, legends and stories about the Fae do not have a single origin, but are, uni- sorry, but are a unique collection of folk beliefs from a variety of sources. There is an assorted range of folk theory regarding the origins of the Fae. They include casting them as either demoted angels, deities in pagan belief systems, spirits of the dead, spirits of nature, and a variety of many other belief systems. In addition to their folkloric origins, The Fae were a common feature of Renaissance literature and Romantic art. In the United Kingdom, they were especially popular during the Victorian and Edwardian eras. Greetings, Unexplainers. Thank you for tuning in again and listening to this episode of Mark's Unexplained World which has been described as being suspended between the mundane and the miraculous. My name is Mark Hughes. I'm a psychic medium, a ufologist, and one who practices the ways of the wicker. So, blessed be to all my brothers and sisters. In this episode, I'm going to tell you about the story surrounding the Fae. And this week's necessary disclaimer... Well, this story is pretty much PG-rated when it comes to grading any of my podcasts, so unless you are easily offended by fairies, you should be okay. But, as always, remember you listen at your own discretion, with all the opinions and comments being strictly my own, and with all the facts still remaining. I also apologise if I pronounce anything incorrectly. My English, although it is my first and only language, will probably be gone with the fairies by the time I finish this podcast. See what I did there? Anyway, let's crack on and get back to the story. The early modern fairy has not been conjured up or formulated from a single origin. The term itself is an 
amalgamation or a combination of different elements from folk belief and legends and sources that have been influenced by literature and pure speculation. The Fae are generally described as being human in appearance with the added bonus of having magical powers. Diminutive fairies of various origin have been reported throughout the centuries ranging from the very tiny to the approximate size of an adult human being. Some fairies have been reported in folklore as changing their size magically to imitate humans, while others have no choice but to remain the same size, whatever that may be, throughout their whole lives. There are other various descriptions regarding the Fae that have been told throughout the centuries with some legends and folklore claiming that some fairies have green eyes while other sources claim the depiction of fairies with footwear and others being barefoot. In the north of Scotland, on the Orkney Islands, the Fae were described as short in stature, dressed in dark grey, and were sometimes even seen in suits of armour. Wings are another description that has been added to the Fae's characteristics. Although wings are a rare feature in folklore, most claims say that fairies flew by the means of magic, and sometimes maybe by being perched on a ragwort stem or the backs of birds. A very quick bit of trivia here. The ragwort, otherwise known as Senecio, is a genus of flowering plants with the daisy family. Today, most modern illustrations of fairies often include dragonfly or butterfly wings as a means of flying. term fairy has developed over the centuries and is now sometimes used to describe any magical creature. These creatures include goblins like the red cap or the elking and the gnome. And at various other times the term fairy describes only a specific type of ethereal creature or sprite. There are various explanations for the origins of the Fae, which range from Persian mythology to the folklore of the Brythonic, the Gaelic and the Germanic peoples. Their origin also comes from the pages of Middle French medieval romances. According to some historians, such as Barthélemy de Herbelot, who was also a French Orientalist, Fairies were adopted and influenced from the Peris of Persian mythology. The Peris are described as exquisite winged spirits renowned for their beauty. They are detailed in Persian folklore and poetry, appearing in romances and epics. The Peris were illustrated to be fair and beautiful, with an extravagant nature spirits that were supported by wings. The term Peris was later used by poets to describe a beautiful woman and to illustrate her best qualities.
Middle Ages, the term fairy was used to mean enchanted, as in Fairy Queen. Also, during the late Middle English period, it became a generic term for various enchanted creatures like dwarves, elves, the Huldra, or the Fossagrimmin, to name but a few. In the modern concept, the word fairy in the narrower sense is unique to English folklore, as in the prevailing tastes of the Victorian era, as in fairy tales for children. During the Victorian and Edwardian era, society saw a much more heightened increase of interest in the Fae. Carol Silver, who is the author of the 1986 book on the origin of fairies, Victorians, Romantics and Folk Belief, suggested that this fascination of English antiquarian arose from a reaction to a greater industrialization and loss of older folk ways. And the Celtic Revival, who were a variety of movements and trends in the 19th to the 21st centuries, saw a renewed interest in the aspects of the Celtic culture with the Fae. And as a result, fairies are a much bigger part of Ireland's cultural heritage today than they once were. In the folklore of Ireland, the mythic Aes Sidi, or translated meaning people of the fairy hills, has come to a modern meaning somewhat inclusive of fairies. These folklorists have suggested that fairies arose from a variety of earlier beliefs, which means that their acceptance has lost its prevalence during the advent of Christianity. A Christian tenet held the belief that fairies were a class of demoted angels, with one story describing a group of angels as revolting and God himself ordering the gates of heaven to be permanently shut off from them. Others wrote that some angels, whilst in heaven, were not godly enough, and at the same time they were thought not evil enough for hell, so as a result they were thrown out of heaven. This Christian tenet also held the belief that those people who are still in heaven remained angels, while those in hell became demons, and those who were caught in between became fairies. So as a result, uh, back then of course, fallen angels, though not quite devils, could be viewed as subjects of Satan. After this first short break, in part two, we will look at some of the many classifications of the Fae. This show is brought to you courtesy of Neil Packer and the Haunted Antiques Paranormal Research Centre. Find them online at www.hauntedresearchcentre.com or at 9211 Regent Street, Hinkley, LE10 1AW. 
open on Saturdays from 10am to 4pm for guided tours of the haunted rooms at just £3 per person. Booking is essential at all times and over 16s only please unless accompanied by an adult. The haunted rooms are extremely haunted and paranormal activity could and has taken place at any time. Some areas and particular objects or items can be quite scary and unnerving. Membership is available for £25 to qualify for selective offers. And why not download the app available on both iOS and Android for only £3.99 to keep up to date with what is coming up at the centre. Over the years, a variety of folklorists have proposed a classification system for the Fae. William Butler Yeats, otherwise known as W.B. Yeats, was an Irish poet, dramatist and writer who was the first person to use terms like trooping fairies, which are those who appear in groups and might form settlements, and solitary fairies, which are loners and do not live or associate with others, others of their kind. In the mid-13th century, Thomas of Cantempierre, who was a Flemish Catholic medieval writer, preacher, and best known for his encyclopedic work on nature, classified fairies into four sections. Neptunae, of water, Incubi, who wandered the earth, Ducey, who are under the earth, and Spirituala Niquiti in Celestibus who inhabit the air. I've probably pronounced all of those incorrectly, but you get the general idea. In 1566, John Walsh of Devonshire, who was on trial for witchcraft, said quite bluntly that there were only three kinds of the Fae, and they were white, green, and black. In Germanic, sorry, in Germanic lore, they feature what was known as light and dark elves, which may be roughly the equivalent to the later concepts such as the seely and unseely of Scottish law. Are you keeping up? Good. Because in Scottish law, fairies are also divided into two sections of seely court, uh, which is the um, who were more beneficially inclined but still dangerous, and the unseely court, who were much more malicious in nature. So, from what I can gather from my research, is that while fairies of the Seely Court enjoyed playing generally harmless pranks on humans, those of the Unseely Court often brought harm to humans for their own entertainment. So, if you take my advice, both of these fays should really be avoided at all costs.
There are, of course, some scholars who have cautioned against the overuse of dividing the Fae into different types of classification. For example, a Dr Simon Young, who is a British folklore historian based in Italy, noted that classification of the Fae seems to vary widely from researcher to researcher. Dr Simon Young also pointed out that different types of classification within the Fae does not necessarily reflect the old beliefs since, and I quote, those people living hundreds of years ago did not structure their experience as we do. In Scandinavia, folklorists and mythologists have depicted the Fae as the unworthy dead, the children of Eve, a kind of demon, a species independent of humans, an older race of humans and fallen angels, to name but a few. Sir Arthur Conan Doyle, in his 1922 book, The Coming of the Fairies, The Theosophic View of Fairies, reported that E. L. Gardner, who was an eminent theosophist, had likened fairies to butterflies. Conan Doyle also reported in the same book that a fairy's function was to provide an essential link between the energy of the sun and the plants of the earth, describing the fae as not having any particular shape besides being small, hazy and somewhat luminous of colour with a brighter, sparkish nucleus, whatever that means. Sir Arthur Conan Doyle also adds, and I quote, that growth of a plant which we uh, regard as the customary and inevitable result of associating the three factors of sun, seed and soil would never take place if the fairy builders were absent. There is a considerable amount of folklore and legend about fairies revolving around changelings. Yes, you guessed it. On an interesting side note, a changeling is a human-like creature found throughout much of European folklore. A changeling was a substitute left by a supernatural being of a kidnapped human being. Sometimes the changeling was just a piece of wood, magically made to resemble the kidnapped human, which is also known as a stock. But more often than not, the changeling was a supernatural being magically made to look like the kidnapped human. Other supernatural beings who were being blamed for stealing children included fairies, demons, trolls, nereids, and many, many others. Most of the time, the kidnapped humans were children, but there were cases, mainly in Scandinavia and Ireland, where adults were also taken. So, let us have a look at some of the different types of fae that have been reported over the centuries. From what I can gather, every type of fairy is part of the fae folk in one way or another, although some have other specific names tied to them as well. It is a little like calling a dog a dog. 
but properly identifying the animal as its type of breed. But not only that, from what I can gather, most of the Fae seem to call themselves by these names anyway. The list is not in any particular order, but, but I will look at some of the forest dwellers first. First up is the Brownie. The Brownie is a household spirit or hobgoblin from Scottish folklore. It is said that the Brownie comes out at night while the owners of the house are asleep and perform various chores around the home. As a reward for their housework, it is said that the human owners of the home must leave a bowl of milk or cream or some other offering for the Brownie's good deed. The Brownie is described as very easily offended and will leave the home forever if they feel they have been insulted or in any way taken advantage of. They are also said to be characteristically mischievous and are often said to punish or pull pranks on any lazy servants or any humans who they feel are not pulling their weight. And if the brownie is angered, they are sometimes said to turn malicious. This particular fae is often portrayed as being short and small with big eyes and pointed ears and is usually envisioned as ugly. Brownies are nearly always male, however female brownies have occasionally been spotted as well. Next up are the kobolds. Kobolds, or otherwise known, or sorry, or otherwise called fire fay, can be mischievous, easily offended, and temperamental. As a rule, they are generally thought to be friendly beings who offer both household assistance and assistance for people working in mines and caves. As well as being able to become invisible, kobolds have the gift of shape-shifting into other animals, inanimate objects and fire. It is also claimed that when the kobold moves through the air, they look like a strip of fire. Most of the time they remain invisible, but people who have caught a glimpse of a kobold say that they are around the size of a slightly hunched small toddler. Next are the divas. Divas are known as guides for medical uh, researchers and witches who are looking to use plants for their medicinal or medical qualities. As a rule, divas love plants. However, they will not stay near a plant if it is in any state of decay. Divas are very small fairies in appearance, so small in fact that they almost look like fireflies. So if you live in a very wooded area or a place where there is lots of forestry surrounding it, there is a good chance that you have probably seen a divas, but without even realising it. Next are the Dryad. The Dryads are Fae Maidens, who act as the protectors of forests and trees, with each dryad being magically bound to one single tree each. These trees then serve as the dryad's life force and home. 
they will fight to the death to protect the tree that they are bonded to. Because if the tree is cut or destroyed, the dryad herself will soon die afterwards. And not only that, but if the dryad strayed too far from her bonded tree, she should sorry, she would suffer the same fate. In other words, if a dryad left the vicinity of her chosen tree for too long, she would die. By all accounts, from those who have seen them, they appear to look like beautiful women with delicate features, seemingly made of a soft wood, with their hair looking like it was made out of leaves and foliage that change colour with the seasons of the calendar. The last one before the second break <clears throat> is the Banshee. The Banshee is a female spirit or a type of fairy that heralds the death of a family member in Irish folklore. She usually does this by screaming, wailing, shrieking or keening. On an interesting side note, keening is a traditional form of vocal lament for the dead in the Gaelic Celtic tradition that is known to have taken place mainly in Ireland and Scotland. Keening, which can be seen as a form of unaccompanied traditional Irish vocal music, otherwise known as saying nor singing, is performed in the Irish and Scottish Gaelic languages. Keening was once an integral part of the formal Irish funeral ritual but started to decline from the 18th century and became almost completely extinct by the middle of the 20th century. The Scottish equivalent of Keening is known as Coronach. As far as I can see, the Banshee typically only exists on the moors in both Ireland and Scotland. The name Banshee is connected to the mythologically important mounds that dot the Irish countryside, which are known to the locals as a side. The Banshee has a long black streaming hair, which she may, sorry, which she may be seen combing. Some legends specify that she can only perform keening while she is combing her hair. She is known to wear a long grey cloak over a green dress. Does green and grey go together in fashion terms? I'll let you decide. Yes. Yes? Okay. Yes. Another notable thing about the Banshee's appearance is that her eyes are a permanent red. This is said to be due to the continual weeping and crying. And another description of the Banshee that has come to light is that she may be dressed in white with red hair and a ghastly complexion. It is worth pointing out here that the Banshee does not usually harm the people that she encounters. However, her cry does predict a death. So, if you are ever out on the moors of Scotland or Ireland and you suddenly hear her cry, remember she is simply predicting the death of someone in the area. And it is not necessarily yours. After this second short break, in part three, we will look at a few more of the Fae from the Oceans and how the Fae have been used in the media over the years. 
Fright Nights was established in 1999 as the first company in the world to offer overnight ghost hunt experiences to the general public, pioneering paranormal events since the last century. Fright Nights operate at hundreds of the UK's most haunted and exclusive venues. All events have their own team of experienced paranormal investigators, mediums and psychics. They have a VIP members club for regular returning guests, offering loyalty discounts and exclusive invitation-only events. They can also host private events for your family and friends. You can contact them on 07 852 998 628 or email them at office at .co.uk or take a look at their website at www.frightnights.co.uk where you can see the many locations they investigate and learn about them and the opportunities they have available. Hundreds of ghost hunters join Fright Nights every month for the most thrilling ghost hunting experiences they'll never forget. If you haven't been on a ghost hunt before, then why not join them to see what it's all about? Why not visit their social media sites for up-to-date information on all the places they visit and to see what's coming up in the future? They look forward to seeing you all soon. Fright Nights Ghost Hunting Events. Remember, only the original will do. Some of the Fae, as we have already established, live in the woods and forests of nature. <clears throat> However, there are others that live in different types of surroundings, including places like mines and cities. So it is worth remembering that because there have been so many different kinds of Fae reported, they must also have quite a variety of living arrangements. So let's take a look at a couple of these sea dwellers. First, the Irish Sea Water Guardians. The Irish Sea Water Guardians are a type of fairy originating from the Isle of Man, who guard the Irish seas and are said to float on broken eggshells. These type of fairies love a good thunderstorm, which admittedly is one of my own passions, so I can, I can see the appeal. They are said to be surrounded by a greenish-blue light whilst they enjoy surfing the waves and bobbing up and down. They are very friendly with dolphins and other intelligent sea creatures and it is also said that if any other sea creature needs help, the Irish Sea Water Guardians will always come to their aid. They are what is known as the Water Guardian Fairies who are small in size but are sacred to the sea god Manan. And on a short interesting side bit here, the sea god Manan, otherwise known as the Mananan Macleur, is a prominent figure in Irish and Manx mythology, often regarded as a sea god and king of the other world. He is associated with the sea and is believed to have protected sailors and provided abundant crops. Mananan 
sorry, Manaman Maklur is also said to have been the Isle of Man's first ruler. And one more, the Kelp. According to Scottish and Irish legends, the Kelp eat deer off the coastline, but they are not only partial to a bit of animal flesh, oh no, they will also eat other types of fairies, and if they are feeling particularly hungry, they will even eat a human. To be blunt, Kelps are ugly, scary waterflies that are sorry water fairies oh water fairies sorry <laughs> to be blunt kelps are ugly scary water fairies that are cannibalistic and carnivorous in nature the male kelp kelp is thought to be a shapeshifter turning into handsome young men who lure young women into the water and then consume them it has been reported over the centuries, due to them not having to reveal their true form, that the kelp has often been seen in the form of a horse. You will often find kelp not only in the ocean, but you can also find them in the rivers and streams. It is worth pointing out here that there are a few fairies that can belong to more than one element. Although this is indeed rare, as fairies tend to travel in groups according to the element that they belong to. The oldest fairies on record in England were first described by the historian Gervais of Tilbury in the 13th century. And while somewhat diminished with time, the Fae has never completely vanished from history. A 14th century tale called Sir Gawain and the Green Knight has the Green Knight himself as an otherworldly being. However, the author of this tale is unfortunately currently unknown. And author Edmund Spencer features the Fae quite heavily in his, nine, sorry, in his 1590 book, The Fairy Queen. A 15th century poet and monk named John Lydgate wrote that King Arthur was crowned in the land of the fairy and taken to his death by four fairy queens to Avalon, where he lies under the fairy hill until he is needed again. There are many other works of fiction out there where the Fae are freely mixing with, with nymphs, goblins and other worldly creatures. A quick tidbit here, the name Fairy Tale was invented by a French author named Madame Dolny. Dolny, is that Dol Dolnoy? Dolnoy, sorry, no, Madame Dolnoy. The Brothers Grimm included the term fairies in their first editions, but decided this was not authentic authentically authentically oh God, what's it called? authentically German, and altered the language in later editions, changing each fae character either to an enchantress or a wise woman. Political correctness gone mad, I guess, even back then. And J.R.R. Tolkien, of course describing his book as taking place in the land of the fairy. I know he, it's 
he does not necessarily say it, but remember people, not all folk tales that feature fairies are generally categorised as fairy tales. And with that in mind, fairies are seen in a place called Neverland in the 1911 book Peter and Wendy from author J.M. Barry's famous Peter Pan stories with its character Tinkerbell who became a popular culture icon and still remains to still remains so to this day when Peter Pan is guarding Wendy from the pirates the story says and I quote after a time he fell asleep and some unsteady fairies had to climb over him on their way home from an orgy any of the other boys who were obstructing the fairies' path at night would have been mischiefed, but they just tweaked Peter's nose and passed on. And of course, I could not do a podcast about the Fae without mentioning the Cottingley Fairies, could I? Could I? No. No. The Cottingley Fairies appeared in a series of five photographs that were taken by two young cousins, Elsie Wright, aged 16 at the time, and Francis Griffiths, aged 9 at the time, who both lived in the village of Cottingley, near Bradford in England. The girls' ages were, obviously, when the pictures were taken. It was in 1917 when the first two photographs appeared. The pictures then came to the attention of writer and author Sir Arthur Conan Doyle, who used them to illustrate an article on fairies that he had been that he had sorry that he had been commissioned to write for the 1920 Christmas edition of the Strand Magazine. The Strand Magazine was a monthly British magazine founded by George Newnes, composed of short fiction and general interesting articles. It was published in the United Kingdom from January 1891 to March 1950, running to 711 issues, though the first issue was on sale well before Christmas of 1890. Its immediate popularity was evident by an initial sale of nearly 300,000 copies. Sales increased in the early months before settling down to a circulation of almost 500 copies a month, which lasted well into the 1930s. Or 500,000 copies. How many did I say, sorry? You said 500. Oh, did I? My apologies. (laughs) The Strand magazine ceased publication in March 1950, but was revived in 1998 in the United States. Sir Arthur Conan Doyle, as a spiritualist, was very enthusiastic about the photographs and interpreted them as a clear and visible evidence of a psychic phenomena. The public reaction was mixed, to say the least, with some people accepting the images as genuine, whilst other people believed that they had been faked. Interest in the Cottingley Fairies gradually declined after around 1921. As the years rolled by, both of the girls, Elsie and Frances, grew up, got married and lived abroad for a time. However, the photographs continued to hold the public's imagination. 
Years later, in 1966, a reporter from the Daily Express newspaper traced one of the cousins, Elsie, who had by then returned to the United Kingdom. Elsie, being quite shrewd, I think, left open the possibility that she believed she had photographed her own thoughts. So, with this information at hand, the media once again became interested in the story. In the early 1980s, both the cousins, Elsie and Francis, admitted that the photographs they took at the time were indeed fake. The girls claimed that they used cardboard cutouts of fairies that were copied from a very popular children's book of the time. However, having said that, Francis, the younger of the two cousins, maintained that the fifth and final photograph that they took at the time was a genuine picture. A little point of interest here, the publication that the girls took the fairies from was called The Princess Mary Gift Book, which was a fundraising publication from 1917. As of 2019, the photographs and the camera used by the two cousins are in the collections of the National Science and Media Museum in Bradford, England. I will be doing a Mark's Unexplained World podcast on the complete story surrounding the Cottingley Fairies later on this year. I'm not going to lie to you unexplainers, this was a tough assignment to put together. When looking for t- I'll try that again. When looking for material on the Fay, I found absolutely heaps of it. But most of the books and websites, though very informative, clashed with some of their information. According to Google, there are roughly 30 different types of the Fay. However, as my research took me deeper and deeper into Fairyland, I found that the overall content was divided not only into subcultures, but sections of subcultures. Areas, more subcultures of different areas, areas with more classifications, and then divided into more subcultures. Yeah. So, eventually, I decided to pick out what seemed to be the most popular theories regarding the Fey phenomena. But at the same time, I wanted to find some information that was less known to you, yourselves, the listener. Having said that, I did enjoy, as I do with all my shows, putting it together. So I hope I have managed to achieve a coherent and interesting podcast for you all. Until next week, listeners. Thank you all for taking the time out to listen to this episode of Mark's Unexplained World. In our next episode, show number 85, we are going to be looking at Jeff the Talking Mongoose. Jeff was an allegedly talking mongoose which was claimed to inhabit a farmhouse owned by the Irving family from Dolby on the Isle of Man. Jeff was the size of a small rat with yellowish fur and a large bushy tail. The story was given extensive coverage by the tabloid newspapers in Britain back in the early 1930s. The Irvings' claims gained the attention of parapsychologists 
and ghost hunters such as Harry Price, Harewood Carrington and Nandor Fodor. This show was written and researched by myself, Mark Hughes, and proofread and edited by Linda Hughes. The pronunciations of all the names and places though was all mine. The actors in this episode were Mark Hughes, Linda Hughes and Denise Pula. With special thanks to Neil Packer and the staff at the Haunted Antiques Paranormal Research Centre in Hinkley. And a big thank you to everyone out there for listening. Mark's Unexplained World because there's more to the paranormal than meets the third eye. And remember guys, keep it real, because being real is better than being perfect. This show and all its contents are covered by basic copyright of Mark the Medium.